Hey, and welcome to the Badger Talks podcast, the podcast which interviews experts from the University of Wisconsin-Madison community about the work, program, and research, and what they're like as people too. I'm your host, Ben Rush. Listening to this podcast will give you a sneak peek of an upcoming longer talk by each guest. Our guest today, Susan C. Cook, will give a talk called Backstage Pass Himmel Music Center on Tuesday, September 28th at noon central time virtually. A link to the virtual talk as well as past and upcoming talks is in the show notes. For now, let's dive into the interview with Susan C. Cook. Hi, Susan. Thanks for joining us on the Badger Talks podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Fantastic. Could you please start with the names and pronouns you prefer? So my official name is Susan C. Cook. I do use the middle initial just because there's so many Susan Cooks out there. And my pronouns are she and hers. Any uh, identities you'd like to highlight about yourself? Gosh. um, Oh, I consider myself uh, a Michigander, having been raised in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, or I should say my Wonder Bread years were spent in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, I am very aware of the fact that I am a firstborn, and I think that often uh, is apparent to other firstborns who know me, and maybe some not firstborns as well. Uh, I am a mother, uh, a wife, um, I'm a tall white lady. Um, I think that's about covers it. I like to dance. When you're talking about your Wonder Bread years, is that age like 3 to 12? It was age more like five through seventh grade. So kindergarten through seventh grade, my formative Wonder Bread years. Very nice. And if someone is to bump into you on the street right now, what would you look like? Um, I'm tall, almost 5'10". I'm white with um, grain hair that is coming in gray in the front and darker still in the back. It almost looks like I dyed it that way on purpose. Short haircut, uh, glasses. I consider myself a a big girl, um, big boned, uh, as I said, and tall. And I'm certainly a a woman of of a certain certain age, as they say. And Susan, what do you do on UW's campus? Well, I was hired to teach music history, and I still teach a little bit of it, but uh, it's only about 25% now of what I do because I have a 75% appointment as director of the Mead Witter School of Music. So that means I spend most of my time um, administering things, facilitating things, uh, running a school, which is really a very large, complicated department within the College of Letters and Science. Fortunately, the School of Music has received some funding, and it actually has a relatively new building that you will be talking about in the Badger Talks uh, live coming up. Could you describe that building um, and what makes you really excited about it? It's a building that had been in the works for quite a while. And then once we started to get the word out that we were going to go ahead with a phased project, that was when we got the wonderful um, uh, $25 million contribution from the Mead Witter Foundation, which allowed us to not build the building in phases, but to be able to build the entire 
um, space with both of our performance spaces as well as a rehearsal hall. For me and maybe some of our listeners too, the idea of research on a campus might be more science-based and I'm doing experiments. I work with human subjects. We get people enrolled. Uh, we either look at their muscle and see how they change over time. But you also do research. So I was going to ask you, what does a musicologist do for research? Well, a musicologist could do all kinds of things for research because there's so much music that we can be attending to and thinking about what its contexts are and what it does for individuals or communities or nations or um, any way you want to think about it. So I can give you just two examples. I, I referenced the, the Maurice Ravel work. Um, so there's a work by him called Le Tombeau de Couperin, or uh, it's kind of a, a, a musical um, elegy, as it were, a tombeau is a, would be a, a sort of a musical tomb. Um, and so it's, it's a work that references this earlier French composer from the Baroque age, uh, Couperin, but it was a work that um, Ravel wrote um, during World War One and was premiered after World War One. So it's a work that really brings up how people were grieving World War One, how they were remembering um, particular individuals. Uh, Ravel did um, dedicate each of the movements of the tombeau to different people he knew who had died in the war. So it's a piece that just really brings us into this very interesting space of how do you remember and also forget um, something as horrifying as World War I was. So that's, that's a kind of work I do. Uh, something very different that, that uh, is related to my interest in dance is that I'm also working on a, a large-scale book project about ragtime music and dance and trying to bring the worlds of music and dance more closely together and um, dealing with the popularity of, of ragtime dancing and its syncopated music and uh, the connection with that with minstrelsy from the 19th century, the importance of American popular music in a international context, um, and of course, central to all of these conversations, notions of race and the racialization of musical categories and popular music in particular, but also a youth identity in this music and also new, new ways that women could find agency and um, ways to be more public uh, through, through dancing as well. So that's another big project, two very different kinds of projects. Yeah, the ragtime one makes me think of perhaps rap music. I mean, I can't say I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a cool kid anymore. I'm not sure if I ever was. Um, but a lot of like the liberation and kind of new youth culture that came with like hip hop and rap, I see a lot of parallels in there. A absolutely, yeah. And I and I think a lot. There's a lot of parallels there in terms of how music first is is, is these new these new popular musics are sort of associated with outsiders who then become insiders who then become part of the mainstream. Then they have the issues around appropriation, like who owns this music, whose music is it, who's, who's using it for what. Um, and then of course, how that music is perceived outside 
the confines of where it was created. So not just say within the confines of, of the Bronx or LA, um, if in the case of rap, but then, but then how in the case of rap, but also ragtime and before it minstrelsy, um, how listeners in France thought about it or in Japan or um, in other places. And so it's this interesting conversation really about what people hear in the music, what they bring to the music, what they add on to the music, the meanings that they add, and then what is going on with the music um, in a sense itself, either either what the composer may have been thinking about or initial performers as well. That's really cool. And I, I know there's like always the phrase that history repeats itself. It's interesting to hear that's also kind of true in music as well, at least the, the new cultural iterations and reactions to new genres of music coming about. Yeah, I think actually for me, it's it's often this issue that is there anything new under the sun or have have we seen this before? And so it's it's kind of your notion of, yes, it's it's repeating, but but certainly it's I think to me, to me, sort of cycles that happen too of of, um, as I said, the things that come from the outside outsiders bringing them into the inside and then the mainstream changing things and. Um, so for me in this ragtime, one of the one of the arguments I'm making is that this was a really important space for youth identity. Uh, so it was white youth, but also uh, black youth. And this is this is before World War One, and it's certainly before the Jazz Age, and it's very much before the 1960s. So a lot of what people have said about the 1960s, I feel like, wait a minute. Go back and let's look at ragtime and rethink some of these ideas. That's super cool. And I will drop the name of some of your works in our podcast notes, too, because I know you've written quite a bit on this. My last question for you is, what was the last song that got stuck in your head? Oh, my gosh. Well, that's always a danger to ask because then it will <laughs> come back and and um, stick it's it in true. my head yeah, again. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> so actually, uh, so anyway, I think you know that I'm, I'm out here at Holy Wisdom Monastery, one of my favorite places in the world, um, to do my own writing and retreat. And one of the sisters was playing um, a work out, out in the garden, um, having to do with compassion and mercy. And it was this lovely uh, choral piece, but it just kind of kept repeating and repeating and repeating that cycle. And so when she stopped it, that music was uh, running through my head like, uh, like crazy from then on. The, the drawbacks perhaps to teaching American music as I have is that almost anything somebody says, I can think of a musical theater selection that might go along with it. So I'll often find myself with, with a piece of music stuck in my head and I'll think, where did that come from? And then I realized, oh, somebody said these couple of words and that reminded me of this, this tune from Oklahoma or from Stephen Sondheim or something and it's starting to wind through my head. So I think that that might be an occupational hazard. Yeah, perhaps you've busted out in song in public, perhaps not. <laughs> Oh, I'm known actually to do that uh, in my administrative work at times. It's it's certainly a, a way to relieve stress, that's for sure. Fantastic. Well, Susan, I thank you so much for being on the Badger Talks podcast. 
Uh, enjoy the rest of your treat in one of your favorite places in the world, and we will look forward to your Badger Talks live coming up. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Badger Talks podcast. I hope you enjoyed the interview, and if you want to catch more of Susan C. Cook, check out her talk on September 28th at noon central time. I also added a link to her book in the show notes. The link to her upcoming talk and talks by other University of Wisconsin-Madison experts is in the show notes. Until next time, be well. Badger Talks podcast is a creation by the University of Wisconsin-Madison and Deeper Than Data Media. Music composed by Bill Purdy and played by the University of Wisconsin-Madison Marching Band. The podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by Deeper Than Data Media.